Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reap the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world about what it's like to work globally. If you love adventure and thrive on taking risks and operating outside your comfort zone, join us as we explore the ins and outs of pursuing an international career. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. Our first season dives into what it's like working globally through the pandemic and the outlook for global careers in a post-COVID-19 world. The coronavirus pandemic has exposed just how fragile the international system is, upending the global economy and dramatically affecting international relations. Alliances, institutions, and cooperation on various fronts continue to evolve as each country handles the pandemic in its own way. And although no one could entirely prepare for the global disruption that the pandemic has caused, it's apparent that some of the top skills that foreign service officers have honed over the years have helped them more easily deal with such global instability. Julie Chung is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service. As Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary, Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs at the U.S. State Department, she is responsible for the management and oversight of the Bureau's 52 overseas U.S. diplomatic missions, 18,000 overseas and domestic staff, and a $300 million budget. Many of those diplomats on the ground returned to their home bases because of COVID-19, creating a teleworkforce almost overnight in a profession that is, by its very nature, an in-person job. Julie shares how this and other changes caused by the pandemic challenged, yet also surprised her. Having worked across Asia, in the Middle East and Latin America, Julie describes a job that she is passionate about and why. What trends are critical for the future global workforce? How can students further their global mindset now? Have a listen as Julie takes us into the world of international relations and explains how the unpredictable nature of global issues and global relations creates a future of opportunities for intellectually curious job seekers. Welcome, Julie. It's a pleasure to have you with us to talk about a career in the Foreign Service and in particular about working globally through the pandemic. Thanks for having me, Stacey. One of the objectives of this podcast is to provide a sense of the careers that are out there, to go beyond the titles. You know, listeners can find your bio on the GW Cyber website. So I'd like to begin by asking you to share with us, what is it that you do? What is it that a foreign service officer does? Well, it depends. I can tell you what I do on a daily basis. When you talk about diplomacy and foreign service officers, I mean, overall, of course, we promote U.S. values. We advance U.S. policy interests. But the way we do that, it's really different depending on what position and which posting in the world we're at. So that could be through programs, development assistance, aid, through speeches, through government interactions, uh, a wide way of for us to engage with civil society, NGOs, and governments. Uh, so it's very diverse. Each job is very different. So right now, as the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Western Hemisphere Bureau, that's a mouthful, PDAS, which is hard to explain to the real world. And I say it's kind of like the COO of a company. So I'm the deputy of the bureau that covers all of our uh, domestic operations, as well as postings in the Western Hemisphere, that's Latin America, the Caribbean, Mexico, and Canada. So on the day-to-day, I make sure that the trains are running, personnel, all the operations, the budget, I oversee our diversity initiatives, 
and also on several policy initiatives, making sure all of our offices and staff are well-coordinated. Wow, that's a great overview of the Foreign Service for all of us. Thank you. I learned a lot. And it seems that you've got a very big job with a great deal of responsibility, having moved up the ranks over more than two decades. Tell me about the most interesting aspect of your job. I'm sure there's so much, but there's any, is there anything that you particularly like and maybe something that you don't like? Yeah, I love that. This is a job that always makes you learn and grow. You know, I've been in the Foreign Service for 24 years, and every day I'm learning something new. So it's not like another profession where you've got to a certain level and then you got it. You know everything. Uh, because of the nature of our jobs, where every three or four years we're transferring to a different embassy, a consulate, or an office back here in Washington or elsewhere, we are always challenged and um, opening our horizons to new things and new jobs. I've gone from everything from organizing cultural performances in Vietnam to negotiating on nuclear issues with North Korea. So every job is unique. And, and so I love the diversity of that and the fact that it intellectually challenges me. And so I'm never bored. There is never a dull moment in the Foreign Service or in diplomacy. And I do love the people aspect of it. And that's just the connecting with audiences, whoever they are, foreign audiences, domestic audiences, and really conveying your passions, your policies, your ideas, and also listening and getting that feedback back. Uh, and so that person-to-person interaction, I think, is really the core of what we do as diplomats. Now, the hard thing about this career, I've been in 24 years, as I said, is a moving Every couple of years, you've got to move up and pack up all your things and move your dog, your child, your husband. Um, there's a lot of that involved. And after the seventh move or so, you really get tired of it. And you have to create your networks again, your friendships again. Uh, that's easier now in this age of social media and Facebook and such. But it's still hard to move every couple of years. So on the one hand, it's great, right? A new location, fresh, interesting, intellectually stimulating, where you can meet new people and connect. I love it. That sounds wonderful. But the packing, the picking up and moving every three to four years sounds absolutely daunting to me. Tell me, what inspired you to pursue not only a global career, but one as a civil servant? Well, you know, my family is a family of immigrants. I was born in Korea, in Seoul, Korea. I mean, immigrated when I was five years old. So as I was growing up and, and the older I got, I thought of what I wanted to do. At uh, first, I wanted to be a lawyer or a journalist. And then I thought, what is it that I can really contribute to this country that's been so great for me, for my family as an immigrant? And what can I do that I, I really contribute and give back to society? And I really looked at the Foreign Service as an opportunity, as not a way to just earn a paycheck, but to serve my country. And that was very appealing when I first heard about the Foreign Service. And clearly, you are very good at it. Julia, you're so impressive. You worked in so many countries and across so many numerous cultures, and you speak so many languages. Are there key traits that you believe are essential to working successfully on an international scale? Sure. And I think these skills are really cross-cutting in any career, but uh, I think especially essential to the Foreign Service and diplomacy, first of all, is communications. Um, Number one, absolutely, the way we communicate our ideas, our policies, to the media, to foreign audiences, to each other, within the interagency, so to my colleagues. Uh, sometimes we say the Department of Defense is like uh, Mars and State is like Venus. So we have to be able to translate um, you know, what our goals and objectives and how we get there, uh, both to within our own government system as well as to foreign cultures and foreign governments and foreign publics. 
And so that communications is very important. Uh, second, as I related to before, is the interpersonal personal relationships, really knowing your audience, knowing who you're talking to, being empathetic of what where they're coming from, what their viewpoints are, uh, really listening and being able to relate. I found that very critical, especially when you're in a hostile environment. You know, when I was working in um, Cambodia, for instance, we had very uh, tense relationships at some times between the government and uh, the Cambodian government and the United States government over human right, uh, relations and human rights and democracy issues. But at the same time, uh, being able to convey these issues with respect, um, but with firmness, and then to relay our stories and messages to the public, to the youth, where 65% are under the age of 30. And so really telling that story well with interpersonal skills was critical. And then finally, persuasion and negotiation. That is what we do as diplomats. We try to persuade others that we can get to a win-win situation. It doesn't have to be a win-lose. And how whatever we're advocating for is, is really something that we should all get on board together, whether it's advocating for human rights in Venezuela and creating a framework for a democratic transition there, that that is not just an issue of interest to the United States, but for the region and the hemisphere for security and long-term stability. I agree with you. I agree that the skills you've mentioned are important across any career, especially now as we find ourselves in the middle of a pandemic. How has the Foreign Service been affected by COVID-19? Well, initially, uh, when we really um, thought about how COVID-19 was hitting us, we had uh, global authorized departures. So many of our staffs and their families around the world had the option to uh, return to the United States. And that was based on um, very varying degrees of health and medical issues and the level of health and medical um, abilities and facilities in those countries. So the fact that we had so many come back, people come back uh, and that left a reduced staffing footprint back at posts around the world. And even though people tried to continue some of these duties um, by telework, uh, it made a difference. As I said earlier, it really is the person-to-person contact and the connections that we make. And so when you have a third of your embassy or half of the embassy depart, that's a challenge. And so I've got to admit that we weren't prepared for such a global pandemic to hit us simultaneously. And so um, moving, adjusting to that and changing into telework protocols and dealing with how the staff that are remaining at embassies and cons can continue to function at maximum levels under a lot of stress. And, and that was really challenging. Whoa, that is a massive challenge. And the adaptation necessary to continue to fulfill the diplomatic mission around the world sounds so difficult. It must have been so hard on the people, the staff, who live and work around the world to pick up and move and have things change so quickly. Has anything come out of these recent changes that has surprised you? Yeah, and it's forced us to think about these issues of compassion, resilience, things, you know, to be honest, we didn't really talk, or talk about on a regular basis before the pandemic. Uh, but we've had regular uh, webinars and discussion groups and articles that we're now circulating and talking about um, that, that because of, of the pandemic, kind of rethinking uh, resetting our priorities and how we are more productive workers because we take care of ourselves first. You know what they say about putting on your um, air mask first before putting on the air mask for your child in an airplane. That's true. Uh, we really do have to do that self-care first. Oh, that's really good to hear. So heartening, heartfelt humanity back in the picture. 
You know, COVID-19 has changed so much in our lives, and students have been affected quite a bit as well. Do you have some advice for them, for students? How can they keep developing their global mindset in the current environment? Well, that's the irony. I think we can do more now than before because of the virtual world we live in. Uh, Before, it was hard to have a staff meeting that involves all of our embassies abroad, for instance. Uh, We'd limit that because we thought, oh, but the connection's not going to be great. But now we're experts at WebEx and um, MS Teams, and we regularly have meetings with 100 people or 200 people now, and it's actually become more inclusive in terms of connecting our colleagues from abroad and here at state. So I would urge the students to also look at that in terms of, I know it's not the same being in person, but the ability to sign on to virtual lectures and conferences, whether it's in Geneva or Mumbai, uh, we can do that because we were all used to this new virtual environment. And now museums and countries and, and tourism companies are doing virtual trips and virtual lectures. Uh, think tanks are continuing to do their um, events and webinars uh, virtually as well. So I think for the current time, um, doing whatever we can virtually and exploring, continuing to explore and make those connections virtually will be important and critical because of the state we are in. So true, so true. So many opportunities, but we have to search for them. We have to look for them to determine which organizations, what webinars, what topics. But it's hard after spending so many hours online for class, right? But it's important that you point out we must take the time now to prepare ourselves for the future, and we have a little bit of extra time. So what other opportunities or obstacles do you think students will encounter if they decide to pursue a global career in the coming few years? Well, I think the opportunities are great in any kind of global career uh, because of the unpredictable nature of global issues and global relations. We don't know when the the next um, hostility or where the next issue will come up. Again, there's such an unknown um, beyond what we can predict. That actually I see as an opportunity because that will challenge us to constantly evolve and think about addressing new challenges, new relationships, new alliances, Um, new malign influences. Uh, We've worked very hard this past uh, year and a half, especially at the State Department, on countering malign influence from the Chinese Communist Party or Russia. But there may be new malign influences that grow in the next year or two. So I think for students to think about two steps ahead, you know, what, what are the challenges now, but what are the growing challenges? Do we have to start thinking more about artificial intelligence and uh, bitcoins and other areas where we couldn't have imagined five or six years ago. So I think there are many areas that we will need to have more expertise in. And the students that are in school now can really delve into deeper technical areas where I didn't have an opportunity to when I was in graduate school. Yes, so much has changed, which again means opportunity, as you point out. What trends do you see emerging as a focal point for students considering an international career? Well, I think it's a given that IT, technology, uh, cyber issues, cybersecurity, 5G, uh, that is a critical area for, for the future. And uh, again, as a social science major in political science and international affairs, that's not something that um, many of my peers or I really focused on when we went to grad school. And so more of the technical fields, again, AI, Internet of Things, Uh, we're finding that we don't have enough of those with that kind of specific technical and technology expertise to be able to do the policy work. 
And similarly, as because of the pandemic, global health and infectious diseases, that that's not only for the CDC to be able to be, have that expertise, but it would be great within the State Department to build up that expertise as well. Great insight and so important. Cybersecurity, AI, these are things to think about not only for the Foreign Service, but also all types of companies and organizations. You're offering such wonderful practical advice. Is there some advice you wish you had been given earlier in your career? I think I would tell my younger self not to be too hard on myself and to be really more open and flexible. I was so just focused on, you know, growing up in a Korean-American immigrant home, uh, you had to bring home all A's, everything had to be to perfection. So a lot of pressure um, on myself and that I put on myself more than others put on me. So I think I would tell my younger self to chill out a little bit, that it's okay to have some missteps and mistakes and it still turns out, you know, you may not get promoted on the very first turn. That's okay. Your life is not going to be over. You may not get that exact job at that exact embassy that you wanted at the time. That's okay. Now, some of these disappointments are just a part of your natural growth and your professional growth as well. And uh, to really be more open to that. So tell me, do you think your younger self would have listened to you? Nope. <laughs> took me about 20 years to learn that lesson. <laughs> I love your honesty. How about the best piece of advice you've been given by somebody else? Yeah, one of my great mentors told me, you came to play, not sit on the bench. And that really has struck me because, again, when I was a junior officer and even mid-level, I was a little shy, a little uncertain, and what would say I had imposter syndrome. I didn't know whether I belonged, whether I really deserved that position, whether I knew what I was talking about. So I was hesitant to speak up in, in a crowded room, of, in a conference room. So when she told me, you know, you came to play. You didn't come to just sit on that bench and to be bold sometimes. And, you know, what you may say may not be the smartest thing, but to offer uh, your expertise, offer your ideas. I think that is really important for uh, the, the youth and the young uh, diplomats and students to think about that. Uh, don't be so shy. Don't hold yourself back. So most people think that the global lifestyle is exotic and exciting and wonderful. And for many of us, yes, it is. And as you pointed out, there are some, there are some difficult challenges as well. But across your entire career and your life living and working abroad, do you have a favorite experience to share, a memory of some aspect that will bring it to life for people? Yeah, I think the most um, memorable was when I was working on North Korean issues. Again, as an immigrant of Korea, of South Korea, and uh, having my own family uh, gone through the Korean War and, been, and the families were split, um, to go to North Korea and also actually cross the, the demilitarized zone by foot. Usually we flew, but the one time we actually crossed the, the bridge of no return, crossed over, and I was walking across, uh, one of the North Korean soldiers proposed to me. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> He was like, I got a great apartment in Pyongyang. You want to marry me? And uh, I thought that was just hilarious as I was having this very scary, uh, frightening moment of crossing by foot to North Korea, getting a marriage proposal. Um, but just being in North Korea and having these engagements and meetings as a Korean American, uh, it was very poignant. It was very emotional for me and to think about my ancestry and, and the split of that country. And then to be there as an American, as an American diplomat, to speak on behalf of the United States government, uh, I found that uh, just a very 
powerful moment to to be a part of that. I love that story. Wow. You must have been uh, experiencing quite a range of emotions walking across that bridge. And that's a really great story, Julie. So thanks so much for sharing it. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I would offer my final note to students, um, just be optimistic. And I'm, I'm not saying be a Pollyanna. I know there's a lot of challenges going on within the State Department, within our society, within our country, in our world. A lot of issues with racial relations. We certainly aren't a perfect country and we don't pretend to be when we go out as diplomats to talk about the United States. But I do have a great deal of optimism uh, because I believe in, in the young people. I believe in the basic foundations and values of who we are as a people. And you know, as an, as an immigrant, as, as a diplomat who has been in this position for more than two decades, uh, there will be ups and downs and there'll be many challenges that our country faces, but we can't do it if we believe that whatever we do won't work and that we can't even try. So I, I really encourage everybody out there to maintain that sense of optimism as you work hard and endeavor to pursue whatever passion that's important to you. Excellent advice and much needed at this moment in time. Thanks again, Julie, for taking the time out of your schedule to share your personal journey and perspective on working globally during and beyond the pandemic. You are so inspiring. Thanks again. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast, Working Globally Through the Pandemic and the Outlook for Global Careers in a Post-COVID-19 World. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global. Go global.